Um, I'm going to pray um, as we pray, as I pray, uh, turn your Bible to Luke chapter 1. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for us. I thank you for, again, bringing us here safely. I thank you for allowing us to live in a country where we can meet without fear of persecution. Lord, uh, we, we've come here to hear from you. Uh, my words are not enough. Only your words can give life. I pray that you would show us this grace and show us this mercy by speaking through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 1. So what I've decided to do, um, begin doing, or attempt to do, is on Sunday mornings, we're going to be going through the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke is, I think, by volume, is the biggest book in the New Testament. And so um, it, it's going to take a while, so be prepared. So what I thought we would do is we would take it in five um, chapter sections. We'll do five chapters, and then we'll take a break, and we'll do five more, and then we'll hopefully continue on and do the entire um, book of Luke. My reason for doing this is when you are a pastor and when you're in charge of preaching, um, occasionally what, you can, what, what can happen is you will start um, emphasizing things that you just like to emphasize and preaching things that you just like to preach, and you forget to preach the whole counsel of God's word. Um, doing um, preaching like this, going through books of the Bible, you will emphasize what God emphasizes. Um, and it's my hope and it's my belief that when we understand one portion of Scripture, it helps us understand all of Scripture. How many of you understand that Scripture is not many books, it's one book? For instance, when people who are liberal say, you know, I don't understand why Christians are against homosexuality. Jesus never said anything about homosexuals in the Gospels. Well, Jesus did say something about homosexuals. He said it in Leviticus, right? Jesus is God in flesh, and Jesus wrote the Bible, right? And guess what? Leviticus is very clear about that, isn't it? And so when we understand one portion of Scripture, it helps us understand all of Scripture. Um, and so our goal as a church is to understand Scripture. Um, God did not leave us the newspaper, right? He left us the Bible. Um, aren't, you, aren't you glad that God didn't leave us the newspaper? Um, he left us the Bible. Um, and so as a church body and as a church family, um, we study Scripture together. We don't get up here and talk about things that are just ticking me off or things that are annoying me, right? We, we get up here and we talk about the Bible. Um, so with that being said, let's um, open our Bibles and to Luke chapter 1. And today what I'm going to do is kind of introduce us to the Gospel of Luke. I want to talk about the author a little bit. I want to talk about the intended audience. I want to talk about the purpose that Luke had for writing the Gospel. And then I want to talk about some theological themes that we find throughout the Gospel of Luke. So we begin with Luke's prefix. And Luke chapter 1, it says this, verse 1, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth and order a declaration of those things which most surely believe, which are most surely believed among us, um, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. 
it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, in, in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know with certainty those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So who is writing this? Well, church tradition has it that Luke is writing this. How do we know that Luke wrote this? Well, church tradition is almost unanimous in um, saying that Luke wrote this gospel. Uh, we find that Luke is given the credit for this gospel as early as 120 AD. Um, so church tradition is unanimous in that, um, and that uh, Luke wrote the gospel. Now, what do we know about Luke? Now, there is a tendency in scholarship to want to either see Luke as a historian or Luke as a theologian. Now, neither view is correct. Luke, like all of us, is capable of being more than one thing. Um, he is both historian, he is also a doctor, and he's also a friend. Um, we find in, in Acts, in the book of Acts, which, wrote, which Luke also wrote, that he is a constant companion of Paul. Um, now, over, our, over the course of our study of the Gospel of Luke, we will be concentrating mostly as Luke, the historian and theologian. Now, what we find in Luke's Gospel is not just a a bunch of facts about Jesus. Does it make sense? Um, in other words, Luke doesn't say, hey, here's, some, here's Jesus' favorite color. Um, here's Jesus' favorite food, right? He doesn't tell us things like that. It's not just a list of brief facts about Jesus. Luke points us to the meaning of those facts, which, by the way, mirrors our purpose exactly. Not only do I want for us to understand the historical facts that Luke has preserved for us in his gospel, I want us to understand what those facts mean. Right? What does is, what is the facts about Jesus' life mean to you personally? So who was Luke writing to? Luke was writing to predominantly a Gentile audience. Our reason for thinking this is, number one, the avoidance of Semitic expressions throughout the gospel of Luke. Um, he always gives a Gentile expression where a Semitic expression can be given. Um, he, he is always explaining Jewish customs. If the, if the gospel was written to Jews, there would be no need for the explanation of Jewish customs. Um, he references the, the Jews in the third person throughout the gospel as well. So what is the purpose of this book? Luke wrote the gospel to tell us about Jesus to tell us about Jesus and what Jesus means to us, right? He wrote it to predominantly a Gentile audience, which is us, right? Why did he write it? Well, he wrote it for two reasons. To help convince his readers of the truthfulness of what they've been taught about Jesus. And number two, to tell people the good news of what God has accomplished in Jesus. So he says to Theophilus, he says, he says, I wrote this most excellent Theophilus that thou mightest know the certainty of those things which thou hast been instructed. Now, we don't know who Theophilus was. Chances are he was a wealthy person. Um, but he was a wealthy person who had been instructed in the Christian faith, but he, went, but he hadn't had 
but he doesn't have all the information. Does that make sense? So Luke writes to him so that he may know everything with certainty. So the first thing that Luke does in order to persuade his readers of the truthfulness of what they've been taught is he points them to eyewitness testimony. He says that, that he's given us, what he's been saying has been um, is grounded in eyewitness testimony. Now, when I was younger, I thought that you either believed that Jesus rose from the dead or you didn't. I didn't think that you could be proven one way or the other. However, when I became older and I began to read about the life of Jesus um, with other books, I found out that the, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead can be demonstrated historically. Uh, we're, we're, we're not going to get into that today. Maybe we'll get into that some other time. But what Luke is saying, Luke is saying the truth about Jesus is certain because the truth about Jesus is founded on eyewitness testimony. Luke is not giving us a kind of religious philosophy of life or a guide to happiness. Luke is telling us what happened. How many of you remember um, the TV show Dragnet? What, what is it the character, the lead character always say? Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. What is Luke giving? He's giving us the facts. He's telling us what happened in the life of Jesus. He's not making up anything. He's not making up legend, right? He's not making up a myth. He's telling us what actually occurred. So what does he want to do? He wants to establish that what he's explaining happened. How does he do that? He points to the fact that he has eyewitness testimony. The second reason that Luke has for writing in this gospel is to show people and to tell people the good news of what God has accomplished in Jesus. That is to say, what we find in the gospel is not so much a biography where, where, Luke, where Luke tells us interesting things about Jesus. Rather, it is a gospel. That is, it is a message of good news. Luke tells us the good news of what God has accomplished in the life of Jesus. The purpose of this gospel like the other three, is to tell us the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. How many of you, that is good news? Why is it good news? Because you are, are sinners. Everybody in here is a sinner. Everybody in here, without our sins being paid for, we are worthy to miss heaven and spend eternity separated from God. However, because of what God has accomplished in Jesus... God has saved us from our sins. Isn't that good news? How many of you have ever felt guilty? Right? The good news is the thing that burdens you the most has been taken care of by Jesus. Isn't that good news? Now part of this good news is that what Jesus said and what Jesus did is still relevant for us today. Right? Like, we're not studying a book that's irrelevant. What I'm, what I'm not doing today is I'm not taking something that is irrelevant and dressing it up and making it seem relevant. What, I am, what I'm doing today is telling you something that is the most relevant news that you've ever heard. That is, Jesus 
has saved you from your sin. Jesus, through the words that we are reading this morning, is still saving people. Right? That is what makes it relevant. We're not, we're not studying what Jesus did in the past, right? What we're doing is we're studying what Jesus is still doing. Jesus is still saving people. God and Jesus is still saving people. Our purpose here today is not like, um, we're not like the, the, the hip, out-of-touch youth pastor who feels like they have to dress up God's word and use relevant language. No, the Bible is already relevant. We're just explaining to you what the Bible says and what the Bible means. Right? So what are the theological themes throughout the book of Luke? I think there are two. God's sovereign rule over history. And number two, the fact that God's offer of salvation is universal. When we read the Gospel of Luke, we'll find over and over again him pointing out that God is in control of the events in history. Right? One of the ways that Luke demonstrates this is by showing that the events would seem to put in question God's control the most are in fact prophesied long before they happen. Right? And Luke's sequel to the Gospel of Luke, which is the Acts of the Apostle, we are told in Acts chapter 2, verse 23 and 27, that the death of Jesus was not a catastrophe because the death of Jesus was foreordained. What we see in the Gospel of Luke, we see um, over and over again, it says that Jesus must do this. Right? What, what, what the, the point that Luke is making is that, that the events Jesus' life are not just random events. They have been planned for the foundation of the earth. For instance, Luke chapter 9, verse 22 says this. Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Why does he say must? Why? Because it's part of God's plan to save mankind. We see in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 33, he says this, Then he took the twelve, and he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spit upon. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise from the dead. Notice again, Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 37. It says, when he said unto them, when I sent you without a purse and a scrip and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said, nothing. Then he said unto them, he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his scrip, and he hath a sword, hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you, that this is that which is written, must you which is written, which must be accomplished in me. What's he saying? It's all part of the plan. In the death of Jesus, we do not see the end of what Jesus came to do, doing. Instead, what do we do? What do we see? We see God's 
sovereign rule over the free choices of men. I want you to think about that. Pilate, did anybody force him to acquiesce to the Jews to have Jesus crucified? Nobody forced him. He chose to do that. And in him, and in him making the choice, God was over that choice, and he took that choice and he used it to accomplish his sovereign will. Does that make sense? Now, this is a special significance for us today, right? Here in 2020, it seems like everything's kind of falling to pieces, doesn't it? It seems like like we, we, we had the COVID virus and we also had the murder hornets, right? And, and it had all of these things that are conspiring against the world and it seems like the world is falling to pieces. People are going crazy. We have riots in the streets. Uh, it used to be like when a riot would happen, that would be like newsworthy. Now riots happen every day. And it seems like everything is falling to pieces. But we read in the Bible that, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We read in the Bible that God is immutable. So guess what? If he was in control back 2,000 years ago, what does that mean? He's still in control. How did, how did, how did Luke demonstrate the fact that God was sovereign over everything. He over and over again, what's he do? We saw that he pointed to prophecy, didn't he? He says this is happening because it was written long ago. Now the same thing should comfort us. Right? When, when, we, when we read the New Testament, right, and the New Testament predicts things about Jesus' life, where he was born, right? The Old Testament predicted where he was born. It, it predicted the manner in which he was going to die. He, it predicted that it was Gentiles that were going to um, kill him. It predicted that he was going to be numbered among the thieves, right? It predicted all of those things. Right? And so... Because the Old Testament accurately predicted the life and ministry of Jesus, don't you think the New Testament can accurately predict what God is going to do next? Shouldn't that comfort us? Even though it feels like the world is out of control. Like we're coming up on to a big election, right? And, and we're praying fervently that God allows good people to be elected. Well, let's say that good people are not elected. Does that mean that God's out of control? God was able to use the free choices of men to accomplish his goal of saving mankind. Right? In the, in the New Testament. Guess what he's able to do now? He's able to use the free choices that we make today to accomplish his ends. That should comfort us. Every week, when we read through the Gospel of of Luke, we're going to be confronted with God shaping and directing the events in the life of Jesus. And guess what God is doing in your life? He's shaping and directing your, your life. So what is 
the theological theme of Luke. Number one, it's the sovereign rule of God. Number two, it's that God's offer of salvation is universal. Now, when I say that God's offer of salvation is universal, I don't mean that everyone will be saved. What I do mean is that everyone can be saved. Luke records for us the words of Simeon when he first sees Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 30 and 32, he says, For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Who is the gospel for? Luke tells us the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for the Samaritan, Luke tells us, right? Um, to the Jewish people, the Samaritans were the worst of the worst, right? They were, they were considered awful. Yet we find Jesus in the gospel of Luke working among the Samaritans in Luke chapter 9, right? And in Luke chapter 17. Luke records for us the parable of the good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Luke also records for us the story of the ten lepers who got healed and only one came back and was grateful, which was the Samaritan. Who is the gospel for? The gospel is for the lost, right? Luke's gospel gives us give special attention to what the world would consider outcast. In fact, Jesus tells us that it's only those who see their need for a Savior that can be saved. This is emphasized in the story of the Pharisee and the sinful woman, right? This is emphasized in the story of Zacchaeus, who was a publican and a tax collector. And what does he say? Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. This is emphasized in the, in the parable of the publican and the Pharisee. The, the Pharisee prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And then he contrasts him with the, the, with the publican who, who can't even look up to God because of his own sinfulness. This is, this is also emphasized in the pardoning of the thief on the cross. This man lived a life of wickedness. This man man lived a life of, of violence. And yet Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Over and over again in the Gospel of Luke, he drives home the point that Paul made in Titus chapter 3, verse 4. He says this, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Who is the gospel for? It's for the lost. It's for the people who are down and out. It's for the outcast in society. Who is the gospel for? The gospel is for poor people. The gospel of Luke tells us about um, Jesus tells us about the dangers of wealth, right, in the story of the rich fool. We read in chapter 14, verse 13, how Luke records for us that Jesus encourages us to invite the poor people to dinner. Who is the gospel for? The gospel is for women, according to the gospel of Luke. 
Now, this may seem like a, a strange point to point out. However, when you read history, especially the history of the ancient world, you will find that women were treated as objects, right? Luke's account tells us the story of the women in Jesus' life. It tells us the story of Mary, his mom. It tells us the stories of Mary and Martha, his friends. clearest statement of Luke's attention to the problem of the world. The problem of the world is the gospel. It solves everything, doesn't it? Why is it that we have rioting on the streets when people need to hear the gospel? Why do we have universities full of crazy people teaching our children? Because we as a church have failed in our, in our responsibility to proclaim the gospel, right? The, the intention of Luke in this gospel is to proclaim the good news is for everyone, right? The clear statement of this is found in the genealogy of Jesus that Luke reports for us. In Matthew's genealogy, it goes back to Abraham, doesn't it? In Luke's genealogy, it goes all the way back to Adam. The point that, that Luke is making is that Jesus is the Savior of everyone. There is nobody on the face of the planet who doesn't need to hear the gospel. Nobody. The gospel fixes all of our social ills. You have one group of people saying, our problem is rich people are greedy. Are rich people greedy? Yeah. What's the fix? It's not stealing their money and giving it to other people. That's not what the fix is. The fix is the gospel. Right? Because it changes hearts. We have another group of people who are lazy. Right? They don't want to do anything. What's the fix? Well, it's the gospel. Why? Because the gospel changes your heart. And it changes your mind. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel fixes all of our problems. And so what we are going to do over the course of our study in the book of Luke is just we're going to over and over again, over and over again, be confronted with the fact that God is in control of everything. How many of you need to be reminded about that? How many of you this week you needed that reminder? Like your boss at work? difficult. And you wanted to punch him. That's what Brother Scott was saying the other day. I overheard him talking about that. But God's in control. Maybe you've had a financial reversal. You've lost a job. God is in control. Maybe you've had a health reversal and you're not as healthy as you used to be. God is in control. We're going to be confronted over and over again with the fact that the gospel is for everyone and for everything. Does it make sense? Um, I'll, I'll pray. Please stand. We'll have an invitation.
Definitely, Father, Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for us. I thank you for bringing us all here safely. I pray that you'd help us to rest in the fact that you're in control. Help us to be diligent in our job of proclaiming the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name.